Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this afternoon session, continuing on the theme of generational involvement in and succession. This afternoon, we're joined by KPMG South Africa, Mr. Alan Barr and Mr. Cray Sodding, speaking on a report, The Regeneration Power of Family Businesses. Thank you, Alan and Cray. Over to you. Good afternoon, and, and thank you very much for this opportunity for us to share our latest Global Family Business Report, which was done in con- collaboration with the STEP Project Global Consortium, uh, which is a number of academics in universities around the world. And the key focus of uh, this report is to understand how family businesses continue to be these regenerative powerhouses, not only when times are stable, but actually when times are disruptive and there's a lot of uncertainty. So Cray and I will, will take you through the highlights, but we will share the details of the report after the conference together with the presentation. And I do encourage everyone to spend some time and go through that because there's some really great insights that have been shared by the people that put together, including the families that took part. So the key questions that we wanted to understand is, you know, how do family business in, continue to stay ahead of the competition? What is their secret? from continuing to grow from generation to generation? And then what is it that enables them to continue maintaining the founder's entrepreneurial spirit? And that's what we hope to answer, and we'll share those insights today. Just some key highlights. The survey was done between September and November 21, and we had over 2,400 respondents, mainly business leaders, from 70 countries. Uh, and in February of this year, we then had two discussion groups uh, with representatives from 16 countries, being family business leaders and academics and professional advisors to really unpack the responses and to understand the secret and what is the formula for this long-term success of these family businesses. The key aspect, you know, the families that responded were from small through to large and across a variety of genera- of, of industries. But what was very clear was the average age was around about 20, 44 years old, which means that it was sustainable and long-term business. And therefore, what was the success of enabling to, the, to be around for so long? The number of families that responded were across multiple generations. And the CEOs that responded, which was the bulk, ranged from the silent generation all the way through to the millennials. What was surprising was that only 59% of the respondents had a formal board of directors in place. And only half of that actually had a family council in place. But encouraging was the fact that 60% of those with boards of directors reflected that they had outperformed their competitors for the past three years, which once again shows that the governance mechanisms in place, both family and business, enable businesses to, to take risks, to innovate, but in a responsible manner. What was also surprising that only 19% of the CEOs were female, but even more so was the fact that less than two females were represented on the board. But we did note that the number of respondents in the millennials 
uh, there was a high representation that were female, just showing the change that's taking place and the growing trend. So what was the key finding? And the key finding was that if you combine a strong entrepreneurial capability with a family's positive influence, you get strong business, social, and family uh, performance. And it was very clear that where there's a strong entrepreneurial orientation, it enables the business to innovate in order to have success in terms of competitiveness and growth. But when you then combine the family influence and the family control and that deep emotional connection, the performance simply excels. And not only in good times, but also in the bad. And we're going to now unpack some of those aspects of this formula for this regenerative powerhouse. So if you look at the secret behind the formula and you focus on entrepreneurial capabilities, it was clear that the entrepreneurial orientation, you know, focused on the innovativeness, proactiveness and risk-taking. And it was certainly the response from a number of the businesses and how they got through the pandemic. So it's about looking for those new opportunities, but doing it in a way that you're managing the risk and not putting the entire business at stake. But at the same time, it was very clear that this entrepreneurial spirit orientation wasn't sufficient on its own to enable for the business to sustain itself across multiple generations. And therefore, that that family influence and that family control, in other words, that social, emotional wealth was vital in terms of this regenerative power. And then you get the performance. And it wasn't the the focus is not only on the strong financial results, but it's actually looking at a number of key financial aspects, which enables them to continue to perform at high levels. And we're going to unpack those a little bit more. So what sets them apart? from uh, the other businesses. And one thing that was very clear is they focus on measuring the financial, the family, and the social performance holistically was what set them apart from the non-family businesses. And this first and foremost was about not only the success of the business, but the success of the family focused, got equal priorities. And the family success was how well are they connected to the business, how well are they in tune with the purpose the values, and the reputation. The other aspect that was uh, very important was strong leadership. And it was clear that they required motivational leadership in order to encourage innovation, to know, in order to support the competitiveness and the growth into the future. All this motivation is then supported by maintaining the founder's entrepreneurial spirit, encouraging the next generation to be proactive, innovative and to be risk takers and ultimately reinforcing that emotional value and connection of owning and managing the business well beyond the financial wealth. So if you look now at the the performance, first performance factor, that entrepreneurial orientation, it does look at investing in R&D, developing new products, but also looking the impact on the environment. What are they doing in terms of hiring and managing staff and creating more diversity? and seeking those opportunities. The other key aspect was this acceleration of digitization was was very, very important. And it was clear that amongst the next generation, they were far more digitally savvy and were driving that aspect. So this blend of innovativeness, proactiveness, and risk-taking was fundamental. And if we talk about risk-taking, it's clearly through the pandemic, a number of changes had to be done in how businesses operate and what they do, and they can have significant impact to uh, the broader community. 
And through the respondents, it was clear that there was a moderate level of risk-taking amongst the CEOs. However, the millennial CEOs certainly took a higher level of risk-taking and far risk-averse compared to their, their predecessors. The next generation, however, is key for the sustained entrepreneurial performance. And how do they encourage the next generation to make decisions on their own, to innovate and take risks? And some of the examples that were given by the family respondents was providing the next generation with access to family capital in order to take risks and and start innovating on their own. But at the same time, ensuring there's good governance practices in terms of educating them, as well as providing external experiences and us, for them to understand the value of that family capital they have access to. It's not just free money they can do with what they, what they like, but as part of this educational aspect and building this entrepreneurial spirit for the next generation, for the future of the business. The key point, however, was that the family businesses need to balance the influence of the various generations. And they need to connect with the next generation that at the same time help complement the positive characteristics as well as mitigate the negatives of each generation. So the silent generation CEOs reported a higher level of entrepreneurial orientation, whereas the millennials certainly a higher level of risk. And how do you maintain that balance to ensure that there's continued growth, but without putting the business at risk? Then if we look at the performance factor two, the social emotional wealth, and as I've mentioned before, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit is key for driving financial performance and non-financial as well in terms of driving that, that ongoing place. But it cannot sustain the, this across multiple generations. And therefore that emotional attachment to the business is really key. And it's across the various aspects from business support to driving innovation, and to the whole ESG factor and what's happening in that space. And now we're going to look at some of those key socio-emotional wealth factors that are that are at play. The first comes to with the impact of leadership. And with the continuing economic and social uncertainty, there's certainly a need for fueling a regenerative power uh, amongst the businesses with a mo- motivational style of leadership. Most of these businesses are very purpose and values driven. But with this ongoing uncertainty, they need to have a different style of leadership to in order that, for in ordering them to continue to evolve and maintaining their performance. So based on the responses that we received, the, the most preferred style of leadership is that of this transformational, what we call in transformational, which is very evident amongst those businesses that were led by non-family CEOs. And when we talk about transformational, we're talking about those leaders that are able to fundamentally change the views and beliefs and taking their followers um, to perform above and beyond the minimum requirements in order to take the quantum leap in the business. The next preferred style was that of a charismatic um, style of leadership which was mainly seen with businesses that were led by family CEOs. And in this case, it was really about their followers and, and subordinates the, the trust they had in the leader and, and doing it together and, and the emotional attachment and empowerment that takes place. The least preferred um, style was the authoritarian, which is really where the, the leader has power and authority over their subordinates. And whilst it was the least preferred, what was clearly evident through our research, is it was one of the key styles of leadership across the Middle East, Africa, and certain parts of Asia. 
the key fund, another key fundamental ingredient of how these family businesses continue to, to grow and, and be powerful is the way of measuring performance and doing it on a holistic way. So whilst financial performance is fundamental in terms of not only sustaining the business, but sustaining the family, what was very clear is how they measure things like entrepreneurial orientation, you know, research and new products, the, the investment in, in looking into new markets and being ahead of the competition, as well as being responsible owners. And being responsible owners is looking at, you know, what is the external social performance and especially the impact on the environment? What are they doing internally in terms of driving change from a social perspective, in terms of creating creating greater diversity amongst who they hire, both female and other uh, ethnicities? And then there's that non-financial aspect, you know, the loyalty of the family to the business, the loyalty of the customer uh, equally, and there's no uh, one that takes preference. And and the social-emotional wealth, as well as the entrepreneurial orientation, filters across all of these. And it's very important to understand that that gets measured on an ongoing basis. If you look at the generational impact, and the next gen are certainly coming to the fore and taking a seat at the leadership table and are helping to create a new outlook by asking different questions. They're challenging the status quo. They're demanding progress in digitization. And certainly the next gen are, are far more digital savvy. And in fact, the digital conversion of these businesses has been driven by the female leaders. And then there's the questions on are we achieving the environmental, social and governance targets? But with all this change taking place, what is very clear is that how does the next generation of leaders manage to do that, but at the same time retain the culture and the values on which these businesses have been built on? And that's the challenge that they have. And then the last area I'd like to touch on before I hand over is the gender impact on performance. And what we've saw through the respondents is that the male CEOs certainly seem to have a better higher level of financial performance than the females, yet the female CEOs have a significantly higher performance on the social, on the non-financial space, as well as driving innovation, and specifically what I mentioned in terms of the digitization of the companies. We saw that 39% of the female respondents were the leaders, whereas only 32% of the males were driving it. I'd now like to hand over to my colleague, Craig Sudding, who's going to take you through um, a number of the family business performance profiles that we have identified in this level of research. Over to you, Craig. Thank you, Alan. And good afternoon, everyone. Um, as Alan said, I'm Craig Sutting, um, a director in our Global Family Business Centre of Excellence. So let me continue from where Alan handed over. Um, when one took a, takes a step back and look deeper into the performance of the family businesses that took part in the survey, we were able to develop four business performance profiles based on the level of entrepreneurial orientation and their social emotional wealth. The profiles represent the peaking performing entrepreneurial families at the top with the high entrepreneurial orientation and socio emotional wealth to the underperforming businesses, which were at the opposite end of the scale. And if we look at the characteristics of the entrepreneurial families, it was easy to conclude that they reflect all the capabilities of the re regenerative powerhouses and models for peak performance, which have been described throughout the report. With the high entrepreneurial orientation and socio-emotional wealth, they're basically firing on all cylinders. 
And this reflects the virtuous circle of entrepreneurial orientation, which creates social value, which in turn drives business value and vice versa. These are the top performers in every area of the performance based on the survey. And they achieve particularly high financial outcomes as well as those non-financial or family performance um, outcomes that Alan spoke to earlier, which relate to the socio-emotional wealth. But also they were the companies with the highest level of digitization which is also closely aligned with the long-term business strategies, which I think most of us understand um, is, a, is, a, is a value of, of most family businesses. Next slide, please, Alan. The next profile are the business-first families, which are all about the business. They have a strong entrepreneurial orientation, but they do have lower levels of socio-emotional wealth within the family, specifically when, when one looks to the family's influence on the business. Having said that, they do also have moderate levels of digitization. And being business focused, they do have high financial performance, which is a reflection of their entrepreneurial um, orientation, which is embedded in the family structure and has become part of the business DNA. However, their lower levels of family engagement, engagement and emotional attachment does reduce their overall performance at the end of the day. Next slide, please, Ellen. And this brings us to the other end, where you've got your family first businesses, where in the survey, they represented the oldest companies, the ones with the highest proportion of second, third, and fourth generation businesses. They have high levels of non-financial -perform non performance, particularly when it comes to the family control and influence, but they do have the lower levels of financial and social performance. What the survey did find is while these families do enjoy strong family bonds, their entrepreneurial heritage and spirit appears to be waning, and that will have a negative impact in the long term on the business results. And Ellen, if we can go to the next slide, please. Which brings us to the underperforming businesses, which have both a low entrepreneurial orientation and socio-emotional wealth, which comes with low levels of digitization, low levels of non-financial or family and external social performance. But they do come with a medium level of internal social performance. And it's these companies with the low um, overall entrepreneurial orientation. But as Alan mentioned earlier on the slides, this comes with those ind individual factors of innovativeness, proactiveness, and risk-taking not being um, top priority. And at the same time, demonstrating the low levels of the socio-emotional wealth in terms of the family control and the family's emotional attachment and identification with the business. But let's take a, a positive spin on this and these underperforming businesses. They are the companies that do have the greatest opportunities for improvement. And if I touched on again, the long-term vision and values of family businesses, there is still a positive outlook for these companies. And then Alan, if we can go to the Final slide on the opportunities. So what I think at the end of the day, what the report does show is that there are many lessons that can be taken away from the experiences of the family business leaders who shared their insights and ideas with us. And in fact, there are lessons for businesses and leaders of all types, so not just your family businesses, that are looking for opportunities to recharge and become those re regenerative powerhouses. A few examples as shown on the screen, are adopting a holistic approach to the strategy and performance with equal weight on financial, social, and family or employee results, promoting an entrepreneurial culture and encouraging, recognizing, and rewarding innovation by everyone in the organization, 
increasing the diversity of experiences, talent, and the mindset to inspire fresh thinking and creativity, leveraging the next generation's capabilities to drive those technological innovations and those operating improvements, recognizing the social impact as a critical factor and potential um, competitive differentiator for attracting, motivating, and retaining high-performing employees, and I think that's very important within the African context because um, retaining um, your high-skilled um, labor has always been top of the issues list whenever we've run a barometer. So this is one of the um, solutions to that. And then maintaining that long-term perspective and growing from decade to decade, which means growing from generation to generation through the good times and the bad times, as Alan mentioned earlier. And Alan, I think that brings us to our questions and Nika, I don't know if we do have time for questions yeah thanks Craig thank you Alan and Craig that was really insightful we do have time for perhaps just one question before we have to switch to the next um session go ahead Elmarie please can I just quickly ask something before we go to the panel um discussion the silent generation how did you define them I um so it was a bit small there. Yeah, it was a bit small there, Elmarie. It was, um, I think, those born between 1925 and 1945. Okay, so it's the older generation after, yes. the, before, the, uh, okay, before the millennials. If, yeah, so it's a silent, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's yeah, the guys in there probably in the 80s. Okay. If you had to look at it from an age point of view, yeah. Can I perhaps ask before we, um, another question, did you find anywhere in your results that there's quite a difference between the different generations? Um, I know you have touched on some of the, the EO stuff and social emotional wealth, but in general, um, in your, especially in your discussions with uh, the family businesses, did you find that sort of they adopt different strategies for the future? Did they have different viewpoints or? Uh, so, in other words, in, in short, is there a generational gap with regard to what you investigated? I think so, but I think what, what we found with these businesses, and remember, we didn't do all the interviews uh, and discussions with them, but what we did find, the reason why some of these are successful and lasting for so much longer is the level of communication between yes. the different generations. And I think that was the fundamental difference between what Cray showed, those underperforming family businesses versus the ones that are really driving at a high level was the level of communication. There's definitely differences. There's definitely differences between the different. But how do they extract um, the the positiveness and get that balance between, you know, we, we're going to go after some really diverse opportunity in the tech space versus we're going to we're going to stick to our knitting, which could be detrimental to the business. So, and I think COVID enabled that greater communication because I think the senior generation realized, you know, we need to do things differently and the family business stepped up. But at the same time, I think the value that the senior generation brought during the crisis was how to remain calm and how to be patient. So I think where there was a greater levels of communication, despite the differences, that's where you see the, the, the successes. I don't know what you'd like to add to that, Craig. No, I was going to add exactly what you added at the end there. Is it's, it's, it's a two-way learning process, which comes down to communication. Um, the, the younger generation are going to be more risky, more technologically savvy, but the older generation, they've gone through many crises before. And 
And so you've got to learn from that. So it's, again, Ellen, that one slide you had about the balance, it's always about yeah. balance at the end of the day when you're dealing with family businesses and the emotions that run through them. But I would encourage you, I mean, I think that the report is, is really detailed um, and, and no, some not. really good nuggets that people can mm. take and, and learn from. Yeah, no, I, I think it's fantastic report. It looks also visually beautiful. I, I just want to, uh, I, I, it's just something that fascinates me personally because I recently had two clients and it seems that more and more perhaps because I'm older than when I started consultations 15 years back, but I find there's a lot of conflict now between um, the older generation and um, the Generation Z coming into the business. So, um, you know, the millennials are quite happy when they don't have children. And uh, I find more and more that the maturity level, and I have a student who, who does doctoral research on that, that um, they say that the millennials only reach maturity now at 33. And I can clearly see that in my consultations as well. You can clearly see that there's, there's suddenly a lot later conflict when people are in their 30s, which are the millennials um, currently, and when they have children. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing to me. And I think the ideal would be, I don't know how we're going to have that. And um, it's not that easy, but it would be interesting to research three generations simultaneously with regard to these constructs. Um, I know it's going to be difficult but it would be interesting but Elmer, I, mean, I think, maybe, I think oh, sorry yeah carry, carry on. no no i was just going to say Elmer, i think on that it also comes down to i mean i think we see very much the same but it all depends on the the, the communication or, or another way to put it is the governance structures underneath it because it's it's how that communication is how the, the next generation are groomed and the learning environments that they're in um that will manage those conflicts a lot as we go. And, and obviously when we look at the South African and African context, maybe the maturity of from family governance in general is not there yet where we're seeing the a lot more conflict because those structures aren't in place as of yet. But as we go down, hopefully it does get better. And I think Alan, one of our colleagues from the global team says we're so lucky because we're seeing it where there is conflict and a lot of conflict and um where in Europe and, and stuff where the family governance is very much more mature, those those communication channels, those learning channels, those grooming channels are already there. So the conflict is a little bit more managed. And, and that's what I wanted to add there, Almarie, El, um, is that the sooner they can get the next generation at a very early age to connect with the business and to get that level of maturity, whereas I think in many cases – the third, the millennial generation maybe uh, have not been engaged and brought to that level and therefore they're now getting into the working world, they're having more responsibility to kids and now all of a sudden uh, they're having to think, let me put it that way, and I think that's a, that's a difference. And they want it all immediately, yesterday. <laughs> and once again, that in whole entitlement, that whole entitlement is how that gets managed at a oh, very it's part early of the, It's part of the characteristics of the millennials, yeah, yeah good or bad. Agreed, yeah. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, that was so insightful. Um, we have a panel discussion to unpack really this theme very shortly. So may I ask that everyone logs off this uh, meeting and joins the next meeting and we'll have a full hour to unpack with several more panelists. So I look forward to that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.